This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up, what's up, everybody? Ricky Widmer here, along with the one, the only, Brandon Swanee Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. And welcome into the Primetime Podcast. If you're on YouTube, hey guys, you can see us yet again. I don't know why I keep saying that. It's a normal thing now here on Most Valuable Podcast to see us while we podcast. If you're on BTR, listening through Stitcher, iTunes, thank you guys for the download today. I hope you guys enjoy your full podcast. But what we're talking about today, Brandon, we, we got a jam-packed show. We're going to look at some college basketball. But the big thing, everyone's thinking, guys, we, we, we just saw you guys. You guys posted three videos today after a silent weekend. What's going on? But we're back to a normal, kind of normal recording schedule here at uh, MVP, especially for us. Yeah, we are. You know, usually doing the Mondays. Uh, we Ooh, had to do the Thursday. third Thursday last week. Uh, but, yeah, back on to the uh, – we're back we're, – we're, we're regular again. Yeah, and I mean, that that's the big thing. I like the Monday cast better than the Thursday because we get to talk about things like what we're doing right now. We're going to first look at the Senior Bowl. Then we're going to dive into college basketball and look at the Arizona Wildcats and – the Northwestern Wildcats. So it's an t- entire football and then Wildcat podcast here on the Primetime Podcast. And we're going to dive into the Senior Bowl. And the first thing I want to say, if you came to this video on YouTube or you came to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or Blog Talk and you're looking for the quarterbacks, go check out last week's. Me and Brandon discussed the quarterbacks at nauseum. And the reason why we did that is this podcast would have been dominated by quarterbacks. We wanted to give them... Their own. So I just wanted to say that that this is going to have no quarterbacks mentioned in the Senior Bowl talk. We talked about that last week. But Brandon, I'm going to throw it to you first, as I always do. The Senior Bowl coming up this Saturday, January 28th. We're looking at players to watch. Who's a guy on your radar that you think needs to have a big game and watch? And People should watch in this game. Well, I'd say my number one guy is Corey Clement out of Wisconsin. And I say that because so many people are, are looking at the Leonard Fournettes, the Dalvin Cooks. And I think that if he can have a really nice performance, that'll be able to help him kind of put his name out there uh, to to teams on on draft boards and, and, and possibly work his way up. Again, you know, it's, it's tough when you're going into a draft where, again, like I said, a guy like Leonard Fournette, whose whose name has been out there because of the outstanding season that he had really two years ago. Um, and that's that's really the reason why he's in the spot that he is, I think, Ricky, uh, Leonard mm-hmm. Fournette, that is, because of what he did two seasons ago. Yeah. Not, not even this past year, because of the injuries that he had mm-hmm. and everything like that. It was kind of ailed with those those injuries and stuff like that. But I'd say Clement, because we looked at a really good, uh, a guy who had a really good uh, career, really, with Wisconsin. He was there all four years. He, he was the backup uh, to James White. He was also the backup to Melvin Gordon. I was going to mention Melvin had Gordon. He just, had just shy of 1,000 yards. Uh, in the season, uh, in the 2014 season, when he was the backup to Melvin Gordon, he had nine touchdowns. This past season, over 1,300 yards, 15 touchdowns. The guy is good. I think what what I'd like to see from him is is be able to uh, do a little bit more uh, catching the ball out of the mm-hmm. backfield. Uh, didn't do a whole lot of that while in college, and, and I think that one of the things, and, and I will kind of uh, go towards listening to Mike and Mike uh, in the morning, is that where the NFL is going to be a running back that you really not to not to say to be a good running back but to to be a running back that is going to really help your team the most it's being a running back that can catch the football out of the backfield and it's kind of that that 
you know, you can do everything. Mm-hmm. You can run with the football, you can catch the football, and every once in a while you can even throw it. But I, I think that that's kind of where we're going. I, I do agree with the conversation that Mike and Mike were they, that they were having. I can't remember exactly who it was with, but um, I I agree. Oh, I think it was I think it was actually. Trent Dilfer and and I I don't agree with him a whole, whole lot on mm-hmm. quarterback stuff because he wasn't a good one but um he, he won a Super Bowl though with the Ravens anyways so he <laughs> I, I I did think that he made a really good point is that that's where it's kind of going mm-hmm. I mean you take a look and everyone takes a look at Le'Veon Bell uh, what he can do the way that he runs the football his style of running but also what he does out of the backfield catching the football so I think that if Clement can do that and if we can see a little bit more from him catching the football out of the backfield and if he can have himself a really nice game I think that uh, he can certainly position himself in the right way going towards draft season well and that's the thing with Corey Clement it's the big thing is the First thing I look at is the running backs that are going to be in the game with him. There's only to me one running back that he kind of has to fight with for a little bit of the shine. And that's going to be, I'm assuming he'll be the starting running back because he set a record at San Diego State. And that was um, Denal Pumphrey, Pumphrey, who uh, set that record in that last bowl game that he played in. Pumphrey's the only one that really has to fight with Clement. For anything, because I mean, I look at Matt Matt Days, I look at Jamal Wilson or Williams, I look at Smith, I look at Kadeem Hunt, and I go, these are guys that are fourth, maybe third at the most, but like fourth, fifth, they're later round guys. They're not day one guys. They're not maybe at the end of day two guys at the most. And really, what Clement can do is say, hey, I'm a, I'm an early day day two guy because. I don't think anyone's looking at this game saying that any of these running backs are going to get themselves into that night one discussion because, let's be honest, running backs in the first round, you have to be really good. The only three running backs that, I mean, right now people are looking at to go in the first night of the draft, Leonard Fournette, who people are going to top 10, Dalvin Cook, who right now is being mocked in top 10s across the board, and then Christian McCaffrey, who it depends on are the Patriots going to take him with the 31st or the 30th pick, depending on what happens in the Super Bowl. But all jokes aside, those are the three that everyone's looking for. The big thing is, like you said, what do you do after that? You don't need to take a running back in the first round. And the thing with Clement, if he can show that I agree with you that you got to kind of, you got to, Catch the ball out of the backfield unless you're like a LeGarrette Blunt. Like he's the the exception to the rule. Because you look at him with the Patriots, his main goal, give it to LeGarrette, pound it up the middle. They're not gonna run many screens and throw the ball to LeGarrette Blunt. They might in some packages, but for the most part, he's a run it right up the gut kind of guy. I'm gonna smash in the mouth with my size. But if Clement can show what can he do without the ball in his hands. Because, I mean, you mentioned Melvin Gordon. I think that's a perfect kind of comparison where he's got the same style as Gordon, but he's not as athletic as Melvin Gordon was and is. So he's got to show that maybe I don't have that athleticism. I can still get the job done with the ball in my hand. But outside, how do you follow your blocks? How do you see the field? Are you a good blocker also with that? Because, like you said, this is a passing game. So you got to catch the ball, but also sometimes you got to block for that quarterback. I, what I thought is that uh, 
you know, if Clement really could be like Melvin Gordon was in his sophomore season, Mm -hmm. Melvin Gordon was really good. He was great. I mean, he ran the ball well. He was seeing the hole. He was hitting the hole hard. And he was blasting with some speed. But he could also burn you running down the field looking to catch a pass. I mean, I think that if Clement can be like a Melvin Gordon 2.0, I think that he will be able to succeed in the NFL. And I, I think that one of the things, though, too, is that you brought up LeGarrette Blunt, is that the NFL, I don't, I think, is kind of going more towards this kind of dual type of running back. You're not seeing a whole lot more guys like that are like LeGarrette Blunt or, or, or uh, you know, do you remember uh, Jerome Bettis? You know, guys like that. You're, or Deuce McAllister. You're not seeing Michael guys. Michael the Burner Turner. So I mean, like, he had some speed, but he had some size. You're not seeing guys that big so much anymore. You're seeing guys a little bit leaner that are running the football, catching the football, doing a little bit of both. And I think that, uh, you know, Christian McCaffrey, I, I think that if if he's going to go anywhere first round, it seems Patriots, possibly Packers, mm-hmm. uh, would be the, the team that he goes to. But I think that Clement, again, this is a guy who I think was really impressive. He, he had a really good 2016, that is for sure. And he played every single season. He played a little bit each and every season that he was in college, all four years. And I think that he did it the right way. And I, 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 I like what I've seen from him. And that's why I'm interested to see what else we might get out of him. Well, and with me, I'm going to kind of switch over to a different play. I want to stay on the same team because Clement's going to be on that North team. I want to look to a guy that this was a guy who, in my way too earlys, in my like early round drafts, I had this guy going to the Minnesota Vikings. Shocker, not going to happen because of what happened to Teddy Bridgewater. And that breaks my heart. It pains me to say that we're not going to be able to take this offensive tackle because I really like him, but I want to see what Zach Banner, the offensive tackle out of Southern Cal, can do in this game. Big-bodied kid, strong kid on the line, and if he's a guy that can, I'm going to say, dominate the offensive line in this game and not only open some holes for Clement, but also give his quarterback time in this one, this could be a game where you we actually look at the offensive line and we go, oh, man. That banner kid, look at how he played. Because that's the one thing that a lot of t- a few teams, in my mind, could look to into the first round. You've got the Colts that could need offensive line help. I mean, you don't know where they're going to go. they got to get a new GM still. Jacksonville. Bills, Jacksonville, Jacksonville could go time. offensive. Like, this is a guy who I think he's, I think Banner's first-round talent. Right now I would have him low first round at the highest, maybe the Buffalo Bills at 10 kind of take them, but at the time I did my first mock, they were all the way down at 18. They were looking at a playoff spot. I don't know if he goes to 10 right now, but after if he has a strong performance in this game, I could see us talking about him being at 10 or even at number four, like you mentioned with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I, you know, I just think that for, for Jacksonville, they, they've had so many problems, and they have so many problems still. And I think that they can try and put as many people back there in the running back position as they want. But if they don't have that offensive line uh, built up that, you know, you can put the best running back in the league back there and it's they're, they're going to struggle. So I think a guy like Zach Banner, again, you have to look at where he's coming from. Pac-12, USC, blocking for Zach Darnold, who had, I mean, what what a great season. 
What mm-hmm. a great season that he had. And and I think that, you know, honestly, it, it comes down to what did you do and now in in your season and now what are you able to do here at the senior bowl? Well, and I mean I look at other guys along like the the top guys in the draft right now that are offensive tackles, guess what? Are not going to be at this game. And it's not because they're not good, it's just because Ryan Ramzak, a junior, Cam Robinson, a junior, Roderick Johnson, a junior. So because these guys don't get invited to this game because they're not seniors, this could be a game for Zach Banner to say, hey, you know what, I'm here, I'm a first-round talent, I'm a day-one guy, and this is, to me, the game where we could see him kind of solidify himself with those other players because the one that I look at is not really Ramzik, not really Roderick Johnson, but Cam Robinson because the big thing with Cam Robinson and what we could look at if Banner has a big game in this one is, huh, they look like they're pre- they're both pretty good prospects. Does a team go with Zach Banner because he necessarily doesn't have the same, ba- I'm going to say baggage in this case that a guy like Cam Robinson has with his issue that he had earlier in the year when we were talking he got suspended for having the firearm on him um, earlier in the year, and that's when Paul Feinbaum went after Nick Saban, said you didn't punish the two Alabama players, Cam Robinson being one of them, hard enough. If I'll ask you this before we move on to your next player. If Zach Banner has a solid game in this one, could that become a storyline of teams going, ah, maybe we can take Zach Banner over a Cam Robinson because maybe that kind of baggage just causes a little bit of doubt with Robinson? You know what? I, I, I think uh, you know you have always been a guy who is very into if he's got baggage, I'm looking at that baggage really closely. I think a lot of times— I want to see how he moved on from it, too. I, I think you have to see how he moved on from it. That's the biggest thing with me is how did you move on from mm-hmm. it. It's not so much it happened. It's what you do after. And then it's going to be it's going to come down to who's the better guy. So one of the things with, with Zach Banner is the reason why he didn't go to uh, and declare for the NFL draft last year is because he needed to get his weight down. You know, he's a big guy at 6'9", but he was he was about 400 pounds. At one point in 2015, he, he was 385. The average offensive— uh, lineman la- last year, I think, was 6'5", 312. So I think that that's one of the things that he is going to have to manage is being able to stay at a good, consistent weight that's not too big where he's not able to make moves and 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 be physical mm-hmm. and, and, and be competitive there on the offensive line. So I think that for him, that's going to be one of the biggest things. I think it's, it's going to be... For him, the showing is going to come out and show that he is not only really good at the position, but also, hey, he can move. He looks good. His weight's good. Everything seems to check out for him. And I think that's going to be the number one thing is with with Banner or somebody else like a Cam Robinson, something like that. 
Is is Banner going to be okay? Is he going to be able to? Okay, he's at a good weight right now. Is he going to be able to keep you know the 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 weight off? And is he going to be able to maintain his weight here where he is right now? That I mean, that's a big thing. You know, you think for an offensive lineman, you think ah, weights. What the more the more the merrier, you know. <laughs> but uh, not necessarily because there's a point that you get to even at six nine six five whatever you are that uh, you can't move around with it. You can't do as much. You can throw mm-hmm. your weight, but you know you you can't be as physical as you would like so that's i think one of the biggest things they'll be looking at for zach banner also earlier i had said zach darnold i was quickly saying zach banner and then sam darnold yeah you meant sam darnold and the thing i like that you brought him up the last thing i wanted to bring up on banner is i mentioned earlier that i had seen him on the herd with Callan cowherd and that's something to me when draft uh when draftees and prospects kind of go on these shows the first thing i think of is Okay, you got to play it smart, kid. You can't look like, hey, I'm all in it for the bright lights and everything. Basically, you can't be like Dion, like, hey, I'm going to ask for so much money, they're going to have to put me on layaway. And the one thing I will say, watching him on the herd impressed me. Well-spoken kid, joked around about his teammate Sam, or, yeah, Sam Darnold, where the Collins like, hey, you know what? You, you, you're saying he's got a round face. Sam's not going to like that. He listens. And uh, Banner was like, yeah, I, I, know, I know he's not going to like it. But we, we, we all joke around with each other. So you got to see a kind of lighthearted um, personality from him. And I was worried that, okay, don't don't mess anything up. I was very surprised. Not surprised. I'll say pleasantly pleased with that type of interview. But who's your next player? Who should we watch in the senior ball? Uh, my next player is O.J. Howard, tight end out of Alabama. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say him is because O.J. Howard has really uh, shown some sparks of being very good, of being a guy who can certainly make it in the NFL as an everyday tight end. And I think for him, it's it's certainly that he, I mean, we, we saw some of the big plays that he made in these last two national championship games. And it was actually in both of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, we saw him in the win against Clemson. We saw him make some good plays in the loss against Clemson. I think that for him, and, you know, he he never had a season where he was over 700 yards. He he never had a season where he got up to 700 yards. And, you know, his, his touchdowns, he didn't have a ton of them. But I think for him, I'm going, I really want to see, can he be more of a receiving threat? Also, how is he going to be as a blocking tight end? I think in the NFL, you got to you, you got to take all those things into consideration. And I think he's so intriguing because I think the potential is there for a guy to be very very good at his position. And now we've just got to see can he do it. Well, and for me, the big thing is I think back to and I'm looking at it right now. My first mock draft. Now the order is obviously way different because I did it a couple weeks ago. My next mock draft actually is coming out next Tuesday or next Wednesday. So watch out for that. It'll be updated with the current order as it is right now. But the team that I had him going to, and I think that this is more of a, to me, a perfect fit for OJ Howard kind of a conversation. Like I agree. He needs a strong senior bowl because like I mentioned right away, the first thing I said in my little snippet in my mock draft was, and I quote, OJ Howard has seen some production dip this season compared to 2015. And you look at the, that was before the national championship. You look at the national championship, I believe he had one good catch where it's like, oh, there he is. He's on the roster. Or he's wide open. Yeah. Yeah. Where he 
we're like, oh, is he going to break it like last year? Last year was the big play where he broke it for that touchdown. So it's there. And for me, I the Denver Broncos. I mean, this was obviously before Gary Kubiak left the team and they had to bring in Vance Joseph. But I, I mentioned, like, at the time I mentioned Kubiak likes tight ends. They need a solid tight end ever since theirs went to Jacksonville. And I, I thought 22 at the time. Why not a perfect one? But if he can also have a good senior bowl, another team that could look for him, I don't think they would reach, I want to say reach, at number 10 for him. But the Buffalo Bills could also look for a tight end as well. So it really depends. To me, I think a senior bowl performance would help OJ get into the day one conversation rather than get into like a top 10 or a top five kind of a situation. Another team, and I don't know, you could you, you could disagree with me, another mm-hmm. team that I think could probably use a tight end, Now I'm not saying as their number one choice, but uh, the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. The Miami Dolphins, another team that really just hasn't had uh, that tight end uh, that 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 good tight end really in in a, in a while. So I, I think that maybe they're you know they're another team that that could use one. But I I agree with what you say about the Denver Broncos. I think that that would probably probably be a good uh, that could be a good landing spot for him. It would make certainly make sense, and it, it definitely did. Like you said when you were talking about it, and this is of course before you know Gary Kubiak and everything. But uh, mm-hmm. that would certainly make sense. But Howard, he, he's he's he is he's that intriguing player because you know what he can do. You just you want to see that on a more consistent mm-hmm. basis. His average, uh, I, I think, yards uh, per catch uh, went dipped a little bit in 2016. I, I think that uh, you know it, it's it's what what is he going to be able to to bring you on an every day, every weekend, consistent basis. And is he going to, you know, show you even a little bit more than what he did in college? Because again, didn't have spectacular numbers. Didn't have. I mean, his his career numbers: 114 catches, over 1,700 yards, seven touchdowns. I mean, that's not spectacular. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think that the way that he played in some of the big games shows you that he can be a big playmaker when you need him to be. Well, and the last two players, I am going to bring up I'm kind of packaging them together because a segment's getting a little long and I don't want it to go super long we got two other topics to talk about tonight but I do want to throw them in the first one I want to mention is Eddie Vanderdoes and the reason why I think he needs a big I'm going to say a big senior bowl is maybe this was me kind of over hyping him but in my way too early mock draft and I know when I say way too early you got to take that with that little grain of salt because it's it's way too early. It's not even before any of the season has started. Item number seven, I'm going to the Washington Redskins because I thought, hey, you know what, a big guy right in the middle, if he can kind of, his only biggest concern was the injury that he had in 2015. And if he can bounce back from that, I think he needs to have a big showing, say, this is who I am. I'm a big body defensive tackle that can clog up holes in the inside and you don't have to worry about an injury risk from me. If he can have that big game, kind of push those injury doubts to the side, I think we could see him get a little bit of a resurgence going into if he runs and does drills at the 
NFL Combine, the second guy I kind of wanted to throw in there and kind of sneak in there. And this is my Illinois bias, kind of getting a little bit of a little bit of a sneak in. But Dwayne Smoot, because if he can have a big game, we saw last year Jihad Ward had a nice showing, was able to get his stock up, was drafted in the second round by the Oakland Raiders, and he had a pretty good year with Oakland this year going to the playoffs in his rookie season as a Raider defensive player. So, I mean, those two guys, those are my kind of not at the defense because we've talked offense a lot in this one, but if Eddie Vander Vander does and Dwayne Smoot, they need to have big showings because Vander does. I don't know if he gets into the first round with a big performance or a solid performance, but teams would be like, okay, we got to put him on the radar if he's not already. And then Dwayne Smoot, just to get that draft stock up a little more, maybe do the sim- a similar thing that Jihad Ward was able to do last year. But Brandon, before we move on, is there any player that you think, I just want to throw him out there, see what see what everyone else thinks, or I just, this player's been sitting in my head and I got to throw him out there? No, I think I'm good. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know down below in the comment section any players that we did not mention that you're looking for in the Senior Bowl. What do you think of the players that we mentioned? And also, give us some teams. Give us some draft teams that you think these players can go to as well. We're going to move on into our next discussion. We're talking about basketball. And our next two topics are on the hardwood, the hard court of college basketball. And we're going to go to the Pac-12, a conference in football we don't really go to unless we're talking about Washington this past year. But I was looking at the standings just to kind of get a gauge on the Arizona Wildcats who we're talking about in this one. The Pac-12 is stacked, man. Oregon, Arizona, UCLA, UCLA is good this year. And those last two teams, Arizona and UCLA, played recently. And uh, UCLA got beat. They lost 96-85 to on their home court. And the big storyline for Arizona is they returned their, their sophomore guard, Alonzo Trier, who came off the bench and in that game played 27 minutes, scoring only 12 points, Four assists, getting seven defensive rebounds, seven rebounds overall, didn't get an offensive one. Went four of ten in that game. The Wildcats shot 50% from the field that night. But, Brandon, I'm going to ask you this, and it's kind of because of the win, kind of with the addition of Trier coming back from the PED suspension for why he missed the first part of this season. I'll ask you this simple question. Does Alonzo Trier make this Arizona Wildcat team a Final Four contender? I think he certainly could, and the reason I say that is because not only is he a a solid scorer. I mean, if you take a look at him, he you take a look at last season, you take a look at what he did last season. He returns this year, and, and you're hoping that you get what you got out of him last season. He's a go-to scorer. He's a guy that can open up the floor mm-hmm. for other guys. And I think that that's what's really important. I think it, it gives uh, Coach uh, Coach Miller a lot of a lot of options. I think it really gives him a lot more options because he can he can start Trier. He can bring him in off the bench. I, I think that uh, it's. It's a really good it's a really good thing for Arizona. I think it's a really good thing for them and I think that he certainly with everything that he brings and the way that they played against UCLA, 
I think that they absolutely have a chance to be a Final Four contender if he's able to stay out there mm-hmm. and if he's able to continue to bring the production that he brings. Again, you say, you know, only 12 points. Again, that's coming off the bench, 12 points. I think he only had one turnover, and I think that's a that's a big thing, too, to look at. You know, only one turnover. I think that, two moving forward, if he is able to continue to do this and open up the floor and be the, be the defender that he can be and defend mm-hmm. some of the bigger guys on the wing, I think that that is going to be huge for this Arizona team. And, and you take a look at... You take a look at them. This UCLA team scores a whole heck of a lot of points. And they've got and a they guy, held them down. They also have a guy in Lonzo Ball, not a Lonzo Ball, Lonzo Ball, who uh, on the on the fast break and for draft this year, we've been talking about who's the number one player in this draft class, Ball or Markel Flutz or Markel Fultz. I always say Flutz and I want to say Fultz, but both Pac-12 guys also, they have that guy on that UCLA team. And Arizona was able to beat them. That's a whole different story for, yeah, Arizona showed how you beat UCLA, but Arizona got a statement win in that one. And, I mean, Alonzo Trier, as he, I think, as he comes back, it's more acclimated. They get him into the starting lineup. Hell, they don't even, in my opinion, they don't even need him in the starting lineup if they don't want to. Of course you're going to try to get him in there because he's a quality player. But if he can give you 27, at least 27 quality minutes a night, maybe even more, maybe into the 30 range off the bench, wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't you like that in a six-man if you can have that luxury to have him be a six-man? I mean, if you don't have that luxury, have him start. But even as a six-man, he can help this team. Trier is the top returning scorer to Arizona from last season. Of course he's going to start. But no, what I was going to say... There you go again. You always you always I'm think trying. you know what the other person's going to say, but you're very bad. Um, <laughs> but what I'm saying is that, kind of going to your point, is if mm-hmm. they have the luxury and if they can bring him in as the sixth man, if you're already up in that game, if you already have the momentum in a game and you bring in Trier, what's that going to do for you? Talk about a spark plug off the bench. That would be huge. Again, not a lot of teams are able to have a luxury like that, and, and most likely you want to kickstart your game with having that, that guy in there, that spark plug in there to start the game. But it would be something interesting to bring him in off the bench uh, you know, in, in, in different games and stuff like that mm-hmm. and just see how it works. But I, I think that clearly it worked well in this one. They beat UCLA, the number three team at, at the time, and Arizona was 14. They jumped all the way to seven. Well, and I look at where they are right now in the bracketology, and right now Joe Lenardi has them as a number two seed. So right now, if you're unfamiliar, you haven't looked at Joe Lenardi's bracketology, of course this is going to change daily, but at this point, at what time is this? 7 what, 7.02 Central Time here on Monday? Don't here's, lie to him, 7.07. Here's what they are, 7.07 now. The, I thought that looked like a two. 7.07. Central time here on Monday here in Chicago. But uh, the number one seeds that Joe Lenardi has, Villanova, Kansas, Kentucky, Baylor. His number two seeds are North Carolina, Arizona, Gonzaga, and Florida State. So just to give you a little reference of where some of the top teams are, but Zona, a number two team. And if I go over and you look at that thing we talked about last week in RPI, their RPI right now is a 66 Point eight two strength of schedule overall a fifty nine point 
5-3. What's their record against the top 50? 3-2. and two. The only losses, they lost by four points to Butler on a neutral court, and they lost by, what would that math be? What? I don't know, about seven points to Gonzaga on a neutral po- neutral court back in November and early December. So you look at those losses. They beat Southern Cal on the road. They beat UCLA on the road. They beat N- Michigan State by two points on a neutral court. Those were their top 50 wins. And then outside the top 50, 51, but 51 to 100, 6-0. and And then teams 101 to 200, 6-0. and Teams 201 plus, 3-0. and So their only losses in the top 200 are to the number four ranked team at the time, number 10 ranked team, according to the CBS kind of RPI graph that they have here for Arizona. So looking at that moving forward, they already have that on the on the docket on the resume. You get Lonzo Chur back, you get some more key wins in this nice and kind of packed full and like competitive Pac-12. You're going to be a lock for the tournament, and this could be a team that maybe I mean Final Four is of course beyond this, but this could be an Arizona team that we're talking on Selection Sunday. We're sitting there going, are they going to get a one seed? Are they going to be a one seed? Because right now, out of the four one seeds that Joe Lenardi has. That Baylor, that Baylor one doesn't look that strong to me. Kentucky, Kansas, and Villanova are kind of strong right now. Maybe Arizona sneaks into that four number one spot. Well, I'll be honest with you. They've got they've got two remaining games on their schedule that I'm looking at really licking my chops. And I know Arizona has to be too. February fourth, on the road at Oregon. And, Only time and, they'll play Oregon. And then February twenty fifth. At home, UCLA. You got to remember, they beat UCLA at their place, and they'll get them at home in Arizona, mm-hmm. second to last game of the regular season. Those are two games. If they win both of those games, I, I I don't see how they're not a number one. I don't see how they're not a number one. This Oregon team, very good team, very good team. UCLA, very good team, and you already beat them once. I I think that. Uh, if you can beat both of those teams with taking care of business with the rest of them, taking care of business. I mean, I, I think it's I, I think it's tough to turn the other way if someone says, "Hey, this 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 Arizona team, mm-hmm. this could be a legit number one seed." I don't think you're going to see too many people then if they can do what I'm saying they they can do. I, I they're not going to have too many people that go. No, I don't think so. There will be a lot of people intrigued by Arizona as a number one. Well, and really to me, it comes down to one of those games that you said, and I'll give you a hint. It's not the UCLA one. It's all about that Oregon game on the fourth because the big thing right now as we are recording this podcast on what's today's date, the twenty third of January. You look at the standings for the Pac twelve. Arizona 7 and 0 in the conference, Oregon 7 and 0 in the conference. If Arizona, let's say wins that game, they would pretty much be a lock to me because I don't think they're going to lose the I don't think they lose more than 2. If they lose 2, it's to UCLA and Oregon, maybe even a Southern Cal, but this team is good. This team I think is not going to get upset by the Washington States and the Arizona states and the Oregon states and no big upsets are going to happen to Arizona in the regular season. 
If they get that win, going into the Pac-12 Conference Tournament as the number one seed, that's going to be pretty nice. However, if they lose that game, if they lose it, to me for sure, I mean, a lot of things can still happen. Oregon still has games on their schedule. I mean, leading up to that Arizona game, I don't see them losing at Utah, at Colorado, or home against Arizona State. I think Oregon is going to go into that Arizona game being undefeated, being 10-0 in the Pac-12. But they still got UCLA on the road right after they play the number 7. So they got number 7 and number 8 back-to-back right now. Then they got to go on the road at USC. So these teams playing those three tough teams that I think in this conference, Oregon's got them back-to-back-to-back. If Oregon can beat Arizona and then just get through UCLA or the Trojans with both wins or a loss, then Oregon gets the number one seed. So I think that September or that February 4th, Saturday, February 4th, is for the number one seed in the Pac-12 tournament. But if Arizona loses that game also, and then they lose to a UCLA, then they could be in, okay, now they can fall to a three seed, maybe even a fourth seed. So it's a close conference. It's a competitive conference. But I think with Arizona, and I think this isn't too bold to say, and we're not going to boldly go where no one's gone before on this one, but if they win that September 4th game at Eugene, they will be the number one team in the Pac-12 conference. And with that being said, if they then win the conference tournament, there's no way they're not a one seed. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I, I think that uh, I, I, I think that it's a good thing that we're putting a lot of stock into the game against Oregon. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing that we're putting a lot of stock into the game against UCLA. Uh, but I, I think, though, too, is that you, you cannot forget about a team like USC. You cannot forget about a team like Utah or even Cal that have still been competitive. They're not up there at the top, and, but they've been competitive. And Cal's going to be fighting. Like, I think Cal, as we get later into this season a little bit, they're going to be one of those teams where it's like, we got to get scrappy because we're trying to fight for a tournament spot. So they could be a dang, like a not desperate, but a dangerous team just for uh, if we get this win, that would solidify us either in the tournament or in the, one of the first four games. So Cal right now, they're on the bubble right now as we're recording this podcast. They could just be, that's a team where I said no upsets. I'll correct myself. That's a team. Cal is an upset-worthy team in my mind, in this conference. I, I guess I just think you when you take a look at this conference, you, you look at it's it's pretty good in the top five or six. I mean, you look at Arizona, Oregon, UCLA, Utah, Cal, and even USC. 17-4 and four overall, all four losses within the conference. Not great. But I think that you take a look at all those teams, and all those teams at any time, they could come up, they could sneak up, and they could get you. They could get you. And I think that that's why this this conference, this Pac-12 conference is mm-hmm. really exciting right now. And that's also why I'm, I'm, I'm making this case, saying that those two games for Arizona, Oregon, and UCLA again at home, they're huge games. You've got to win those mm-hmm. if you want a number one seed. But do not forget about the other games. Do not forget about those other games that you have coming up. But it's the same thing for Oregon, too. You cannot forget about those other other games. Because Oregon, they, they've still got a couple of games coming up, some big ones. That, that one against Arizona is mm-hmm. going to be a huge one. They get to play it at home. But 
I think that those other games will be very impactful as well, and those could be some dogfights. Well, and the thing I want to I want to say about that Oregon game before we kind of move on into I want to touch a little bit of Arizona and in the tournament to kind of close out the segment. The one player I'm looking at in that game, and you might say, well, Ricky, he has been a little bit cooled off since, but Dylan Brooks, a guy for Oregon that Arizona's going to have to look at for that that February 4th game. And, I mean, I'm sure that Coach Weber and the rest of our Coach Miller, pardon me, and the rest of that Wildcat coaching staff knows what to do. They know that Dylan Brooks is a guy we look at and could kill you. In that UCLA game, played 35 minutes at 23 points, probably the biggest three coming at the end of that game. Oh, wait, where was that game? In Eugene. Then the next game, he plays 24, has 28 points, went 9 of 10 from the field, only missed one shot. Where was that game? Eugene. I know, like, eight. he's went 8, eight points, 7 points against Washington, Washington State, 11 against Oregon State, only 10 against Cal didn't play against Stanford. But if Dylan Brooks is suiting up for that game, from what I've seen this season, the kid at home against primetime opponents shows up to that one. So that's going to be, if Dylan Brooks suits up for it, I mean, injuries and anything that keeps him out of the game, of course, you don't have to focus on him. But he's a guy that I wouldn't be surprised if it's like Arizona Oregon tied last second shot Dylan Brooks wins it like I wouldn't be surprised if that's the storyline we're sitting at but that September 4th game I don't know if I have plans that day Brandon but if I do I might be calling in sick because I gotta watch that game for the Pac-12 but the last thing I want to look at with Arizona is kind of that complete bring it full circle with what I mentioned at the beginning can they make a final four run and for me the big thing that I look at and you know me Brandon I did it last week when we looked at West Virginia. Can they make a deep tournament run? I'm doing it now. I look at the history. And the one thing to me, the overclouding thought in my head throughout my entire, I'm going to say from childhood, from like, I want to say it's 2003 or 2004 until now. The thing I always remember the Wildcats for is being really pumped up. People pumping them up for the tournament and then they lose. 2008, first round exit to West Virginia. 2009, first our regional semifinal exit to Louisville. Last year, first round exit to Wichita State. Now they did it before I have Wildcat fans jump all two over Two years me. ago. Two years ago, they did go to the Final Four. They did lose to a good Wisconsin team. And even two Was it Final Four or was it Elite Eight? It was the regional semifinal. So it was the... Elite Eight. Still, really far into the tournament, lost to a good Wisconsin team. They did the same thing in 2011, losing to, I want to say, the eventual champion UConn Huskies that year in the 2011 National Tournament. And that was one where they beat, they beat down Duke, they got through Texas by a point, they beat Memphis by, a, by two points that year. And even two years ago, they beat an Ohio State team, a Musketeer team in Xavier that was pretty good. Then then they just lost to Wisconsin, who we all know where they went to. They went to the national championship. But that's the thing to me. It, the thing that I remember Arizona throughout my early days of being a basketball fan 
is that they get upset before they get to the regional. And then when they get to the regional, they lose in the regional final. So with that history, does that play a little bit of a part in when you answer the question, can I know it's a different team, but can this team make that final four run? Does history play anything into that, especially when the coach hasn't changed? Like he's still the coach that's been here for days. Well, one thing that I want to point out is that back in the 2014-2015 season when they did make it to the Elite Eight and they lost to Wisconsin, in the Pac-12 tournament, they ran the table. I mean, mm-hmm. the Cal blew them out. UCLA, close game, beat them 70-64. Oregon blew them out in the championship game. They went into that tournament with a lot of momentum. Texas Southern beat them pretty good. Ohio State beat them pretty good. Eight-point win to Xavier and then a tough loss by uh, seven points to Wisconsin. Now, last year, they didn't do so well in the Pac-12 tournament. They didn't even make it to the championship game. Mm -hmm. And then they go into that game against Wichita State. Wichita State really played well, and they got them. And I, I think that what Arizona needs to do is they need to be able to play really well in that Pac-12 tournament, win the Pac-12 tournament, be the champs, of the Pac-12, and take that momentum into the tournament. They've got to be able to do that. They had something really good going that in that 14-15 season. They need to try and be able to have that going again. Well, and for me, the big thing is, I do agree with you. They need to, uh, the big one is the first step, win at Oregon. Because I think if you win in Oregon, you set everything up. If you win in the be, trees. Yeah, if you win in the trees, you become the number one seed. I tried to rhyme there. It didn't quite work out. Um, and then you'd be the number one seed for the conference tournament. If you can make a run in that conference tournament, there is no way, no way that you are not a number one seed when we get to the national tournament. And that's something that may, may set up the Arizona Wildcats for a good, a good kind of run in the tournament. And the one thing I am looking up, because I want to look up the exact date for this, a little pop quiz for you, Brandon, to end this segment. Do you know my favorite game, my favorite game featuring an Arizona Wildcat team? Featuring Arizona Wildcats. Yes, I do. And it's the Illinois game. Bingo. 2005, March 26, when we won by one single point in overtime. I believe that was the one where Arizona had that game in hand. Or so they thought, and we made the comeback oh, yeah. to push it to overtime. Man, that was a good Illinois. It was team. crazy. It was, was crazy. It was a good Illinois team. What's 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 going on? Why aren't why aren't there more Illinois teams like that? What happened to those days? We need D Brown to come back. We need Darren Williams. We need Luther Head. We need James yes. Augustine. We need we need Powell to come back. We just need to get get the band back together run the table, and then lose to sure. the Tar Heels in the national title game. Sure, yeah. And uh, I believe that was, oh, was that Sean Mays or is that big babyface Davis? I think it was I think it was Mays that was on that Tar Heel team. But this is where you guys come in. Let me know down below what you guys think. Also, if you haven't seen it, you're too young, don't remember, check out that Illinois, Arizona kind of clip and, oh, just bathe in the glory that used to be. Illinois basketball. You knew you knew Wildcat fans that I'd throw that in right at the end. And now, Brandon, we're going to move on into our final topic. And it's funny that I uh, mentioned my fighting Illini and kind of throwing a jab at 
Arizona fans out there because now we get to talk about a team that Ricky doesn't like too much, that Ricky hates because he's an Illinois fan, and they're one of our biggest rivals in uh, Northwestern. But we're talking about the Northwestern Wildcats, and Brandon, I'm going to throw it to you like I do all the time. I don't know why I keep saying I'm going to throw it to you. Everyone knows I'm throwing it over to you. But right now, the Wildcats and Joe Lenardi's bracketology are an eighth seed. I'm going to throw this at you. What will it take? What is it going to take for you to put the Wildcats in the NCAA tournament with them already being an eight seed right now? Probably some good wins down the stretch. Uh, that's what it would take for me. I mean, they've they've beaten some teams already, but they haven't beaten Purdue. They haven't beaten Wisconsin. They haven't beaten Maryland. They haven't beaten these teams that in the Big Ten are really good. Uh, so I think that once they're able to win some games like that, that's when I'm going to be able to look at them and go, you know what, this team is really going to be pretty good and has a chance to go somewhere in the tournament. But until they're able to do that, I, I, I think that uh, you still have to be a little weary. You have to be a little weary. I, I think that you can have a lot of excitement. As, an, as a Northwestern fan, I'm really excited. Football was just good for us, mm-hmm. and... And now basketball could be too. And that must mean it is one hell of a year because Northwestern basketball has never made it to the tournament, the only team that hasn't. Right? Yeah. I no, mean, that was how crazy one of the is ar- that? One of the articles I was looking at on ESPN, they even said they're like, you know what? This Northwestern Wildcat team is trying to do something very similar to the Chicago Cubs. Where with the Cubs, it was, we've never won a World Series before. Or we haven't won one in 108 years. Basically, in the modern ball era, I've never won a World Series. Well, this team has never gone to a NCAA tournament. And right now, if I look at their resume, you see a team with about 60, 60.31 RPI. Finally got it out. 53.67 strength of schedule. So, the RPI is strong at above 60 to me that 53 is a little bit under and that's where what you were kind of showing at the schedule's a little bit weak right now but don't worry you get to play that purdue team twice you play wisconsin once and you also play a ranked maryland team one time this season wisconsin maryland back-to-back yeah wisconsin maryland back-to-back wisconsin and madison purdue you get them both home and away but you do get to play Purdue on the road, which is key. Because to me, yeah, win your home games, but if you lose to Maryland at home, that doesn't sting to me. A close loss to Maryland at home doesn't sting, but if you go in and win in Purdue, that's a good win. Like me, I take more ownership in some good road wins rather than some close home losses. And looking at their record against the top 50, it ain't the best. Two and four. Their losses, though, a two-point loss to Butler, who was four at the time, a four-point loss to Minnesota, a four-point loss by the same score of 70-66 to 66, to Notre Dame on a neutral court. The Butler one was in Butler, by the way. And really quickly, and then going, go, going to Notre Dame is that this is a Notre Dame team that at the time was not ranked this Notre Dame <laughs> mm-hmm. team right now. This Notre Dame team is ranked, and they're playing very well. So yeah. to only lose to them by four, that's pretty good. So you hung right with them. And Michigan and, State was their biggest one at about nine points. And, and then at the time, too, you played a Texas team that was ranked 22. You beat them 77-58. Mm-hmm. You 
get crushed them. So I, I think that this this Northwestern team has has been pretty good. They've been pretty good to start the season, but I think that right now, right here, right now, these the, the, the rest of the games, the rest of their schedule, this is where it gets down to the meat and potatoes, and it's going to be a the meat fun— meat and potatoes? Yes, it's going to be a very <laughs> fun ride for them. Uh, it's going to be tough, but I think that if they're able to play well here, they could possibly bump up their, their seed mm-hmm. spot in, in bracketology and be able to get themselves a nice seed in the tournament, but right now— I just do not see this Northwestern team just crumbling and falling out of the, of, of the tournament and just not going at all. I just don't see that happening. I don't. They. I bet they split with Purdue, mm-hmm. and I bet you they split the games with Wisconsin-Maryland. They'll, I bet you they win one of those. So you're saying, let's let's say this. So you're let's put it on, for the sake of argument, they lose at Purdue, win at home. So there's your split. They lose at Madison, win at home against Maryland. So no, 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 I'm not saying two. that exactly. With I mean, they well, they may be, I, but like that's they, what I'm thinking. If it's going to be two and two, that would those would probably be the games. Or I'm saying they they uh, they lose to to Maryland, win at Wisconsin. I mean, either way, either or. But the thing that I think also needs to happen: the teams like Nebraska, Indiana, Michigan, Illinois, Rutgers. You can't have any losses. Can't have any losses to those teams. If you're going to lose, you have to lose to. You got to get to me. Two and two is the worst that you can do in those ranked games. Basically, being the two against Purdue, Wisconsin, and Maryland. Because if you go zero and four in those games, then you're looking at what were they? That then you're looking at a two and eight record against the top fifty. Then you're sitting there praying. You're sitting there praying on the bubble. And nobody likes, I mean, living on a prayer is a different story. I mean, New England loves singing that at the AFC Championship game, but living on the bubble is a much harder life for college basketball teams. And for me, I'm going to agree with you. I think they go 2-2. Two and two. I'm going to say the one I said, lose at Purdue, win at home, senior night or senior day. Then you win the home game against Maryland, lose at Wisconsin. However, the stretch I'm looking at, February 21st, February 25th, March 1st. That's a Tuesday, a Saturday, and a Wednesday. You've got two road games and a key home game. You've got Illinois on the on the road at the State Farm Center. Then you go to Indiana, play Indiana at Assembly Hall, and then you come back to Northwestern, come back to Evanston to play the Michigan Wolverines. And Indiana is going to be interesting to me the rest of this year because – on the fast break this week, and you guys can actually check this out on the uh, mostvaluablepodcast.com or on the YouTube page, Sean, David, myself talked about more toward the draft side, but we talked about the injury to OG uh, Ananobi. And the big thing that we looked at the draft, but looking at Indiana, that's going to affect them the rest of the way. So that Indiana game... Maybe with Ananobi's injury, you maybe could give an edge over to the Wildcats. However, when we get to that late season, I'm looking at Illinois, I'm looking at Indiana, I'm looking at Michigan. Brandon, what are all three of those teams probably going to have in common when we get to that part of the season? They're all going to be fighting for tournament spots. And it might be where Northwestern's in the bracket and losses could push them out of it. But these teams are basically saying, hey, you know what? This team's in the tournament. We got to beat them because that'd be a quality win 
for us. So that's the stretch that I think, of course, the ranked games are right here, but right underneath it is that stretch with Illinois, Indiana, and of course Michigan. Yeah, I, I think that I think that uh, again Northwestern just has to play at the consistent uh, pace that they've kind of played so far. I mean they've come out to a sixteen and four uh, overall record, five and two in the in the conference. They have been a team that has been pretty consistent, and I think this far into the season, I think that people were probably big time doubters around Christmas time when they're like, ah, eh, you know, they're I mean they're they're doing okay. But we'll, 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 we know they'll fall off. Now we're past that. We're past the new year. We're weeks in. Mm-hmm. January's coming to a close. I think that the doubters certainly have to be going, hmm, maybe we should shut up because Northwestern is looking pretty good. I'm not saying that they're going to go on this tear and win both games against Purdue, win on the road in Wisconsin and beat Maryland at home. But I am saying that I think this team right now, where they're at and how they've played, that certainly could show you where they're going to end up going. And I I certainly think that this team stays within the top four in the Big Ten for the rest of the season. Well, and the one thing that I also look at this schedule, first off, all of the losses, well, three of the four losses – that Northwestern has. Three of them happened away from Evanston. You had a neutral site game against the Fighting Irish, where that was the four-point loss. You lose at Butler, you lose at Michigan State. The only home loss you have is when Minnesota came to town and beat you 70-66. to That being said, a good thing about this remaining schedule for the Wildcats, seven of... The, what, 11 remaining games for the Wildcats are at home. The only road games you have, Purdue, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Indiana. Those are the only ones. The rest of them are at home. So, to me, that bodes well for the Northwestern Wildcats because, like I said, teams are usually going to play stronger at home than they are on the road. And the one thing that I want to throw your way is, there's an article on ESPN by John Gassaway, and I'm going to put this down in the comment section for you guys so you guys can look at it too and have the same reference that me and Brandon have. There's one point in his article where he mentions three things of what will it take for Northwestern to be a tournament team, and he says, and I quote, that Northwestern's losses are, relatively speaking, excellent. Do you agree, disagree with that? There are four losses of Butler, Notre Dame, the Minnesota, and then the nine-point loss um, at Michigan State. Are those excellent losses? The loss to Butler, absolutely. I I mean, some of these other teams that we've talked about uh, that are, you know, ranked teams right now have lost to Butler or played a very close game with Butler. Butler's been a strong team. Notre Dame, I already said that one. That's a really good loss. It was almost a win. Uh, Michigan State, 61-52. That's still pretty darn good. Minnesota, I'd say, is the weakest one out of all of them. Out of all the losses. Probably should have locked that one up at home. I would have say I would have said yes. You probably should have beat Minnesota at home. Uh, Minnesota's fifteen and five on this season, and they they're, they're three and four in the conference. Not good in the conference, but I would have said of all the losses, that's the worst one. But the other three, good losses. See, to me, it's the the Minnesota one to me is kind of 
eh, like it's one of those things where it's like I don't know if that's the one I look at. I think the Michigan State one is the one I look at because this isn't the same Michigan State team no, that we've not. seen in years past. At the time, Northwestern, I believe, yeah, they had three losses. They were twelve and three at that time, I believe. Um, Ten and five after that game was Michigan State, and that was Michigan State's. They were two and zero in the conference after needing overtime to beat that Minnesota team that beat Northwestern. So for me, that's the one I look at where it's like nine points to a Michigan State team. But the thing about Michigan State, and this is the big debate, and it comes into where this loss stands for you, is is this Michigan State team weaker than we've seen in the past? Or did Coach Izzo load his non-conference schedule up so much to where he even had to apologize to the team and said, I'm sorry for the non-conference schedule I threw at you guys because they were losing a lot more games than we're used to. And you could be sitting there going, Ricky, it's only five losses. What are you talking about? But that's a lot when it comes to a Michigan State team. And I want to put this out there. I'm not saying that Northwestern, oh, catastrophic loss, shouldn't make the tournament because they lost to Michigan State. I'm just saying that's the loss I look at and go, uh, it's not the strongest. It's It's the weakest to me out of the other ones. But the thing they're in a good set for and what we've talked about, they control their own destiny. And that's where you want to be at this point in the season. Yes, they have a lot more home games. The the road games are manageable. Plus two of them are against ranked opponents. So I think that if they keep it close, and let's say they lose 70-66, to 66, I'm just throwing out that score because it's a close four-point loss. They lose by four to Purdue or like two or four to Wisconsin. I don't care if it's on the road. Oh, you played them close. They were a ranked team. I'm not going to penalize you too much for that. For me, it comes down to the non-ranked teams. Nebraska, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan. What are you going to do? Rutgers, another one that they're playing that's unranked. What do you do against those guys? Do you finish out the games you're supposed to win? And then what ranked opponents do you beat in this final schedule? But before we kind of wrap up everything, is there any final thoughts that you have about the Wildcats and the tournament? Where do you think they're going to be? How high of a seed do you think they can get? Any final thoughts on the Wildcats? Northwestern 5-2 and two in the conference. They're just a half a game back of the Big Ten division lead, conference mm-hmm. lead, I should say. And this team right now, the word for them is consistency. They're going to have to continue to be consistent throughout the rest of this season. And, I mean, they're an eight seed right now. If they can be good, if they can be consistent, I could see them, I could see them jump into about a six. Well, and the big thing with the Big Ten, we mentioned this with Arizona, I'm going to throw it out there, with Northwestern, a key thing for them is to, because I'm trying to think in my head exactly how it goes, I want to say they got they have to get a top four spot in the Big Ten because how, if you're unfamiliar how the Big Ten does their conference tournament, if you're seeded one through four, you virtually don't have to play the first two days of the tournament. You get a two-day bye, and then you get to play, where they have a few games that first day, then teams that get that first one-day bye. I think it's two games the first day, then four games, then boom, you're right there with another four games. So if they can at least, the Purdue, Wisconsin, and Maryland, if they can keep in that stretch and stay in the top four, 
having that two-day bye and then saying, you know what, we only need three wins to go to the big or two wins to go to the Big Ten title game and then three to win the conference tournament, that would just be an easier road to doing that for Northwestern. But before I wrap everything up, Swanee, so we get to every week. What are your final thoughts? Well, final thoughts. Uh, we'll take it uh, back to football again. Uh, the Green Bay Packers lost. <laughs> We're all happy about it. Well, you, you you told the listeners that would happen. No, I did tell them that that would happen because if eventually the Packers' luck runs out because, like I said before, they're not good. They're lucky and opportunistic. But the final thought that I have, we now have know who the Super Bowl is going to be. The Super Bowl is going to be a great Super Bowl, I think, with New England and with Atlanta. I'll just tell you right now, I think Atlanta's too good. They got too much offensive firepower. Atlanta is going to be the Super Bowl winner. Atlanta Falcons. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think about any of the topics that we talked about today on the podcast. And Northwestern fans, let us know what you think if you're watching this on YouTube. Let us know what you think down below in the comment section. Go ahead, follow us on Twitter at Young underscore Swan 19 at Ricky Widmer at Most Valuable Pod for the whole kitten caboodle. Also, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com backslash Most Valuable Podcast. We're trying to go to VidCon, guys. Make this content better for you guys. So check out the Patreon page. Help MVP go to VidCon. want to thank you guys again for checking out the podcast today. We'll see you guys tomorrow. But as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.